pencil in the apocalypse. I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello everyone and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 254 and I'm showing you the door inside, not outside, into our hearts. It's yours, if you are anyway, and in the virtual booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to names. First up we have the Christmas Zaddy himself, my favorite critic among critics, and I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me. Alonzo Duralde, what's good? Well, you know, Ify, I, I feel like I gave Drea ample opportunity to make this a what's good, and she hasn't, so I'm just going to step up and say Shorzy on Hulu, oh, yeah. the spinoff of Letterkenny involving the heretofore unseen uh, hockey player, shit talker, and mom banger, uh, who got his own spinoff show, which... I have to admit, I went in with a little bit of trepidation, but by the end of the first episode, I was completely on board, even with a gajillion new characters and even thicker level of hockey patois than even Letterkenny has. Uh, but still, a brilliantly funny show. Jared Kiso nails it again. And um, yeah, if you have uh, not gotten rid of Shorzy yet, you're in for a treat. And yes, Drea, all the episodes are out, so you can binge it. Um, girl, you know I've already watched them. I do. Thank you, Alonzo, for picking up the Shorzy slack that I left and in hockey uh, shit talking is called chirping and Shorzy yes. is a master of it so yes indeed yes well that's the perfect handoff to the super producer festival programmer and queen of the Midwest herself Drea Clark what's good so what's good for me is actually um, bigger than all of us you guys because it's the James Webb Space Telescope <laughs> that uh, that came out this week that NASA started releasing photos. And it's literally mind-blowing. Like, if you think about it for even a little too long, it might freak you out. But the images are incredible. And it's a telescope that's able to capture between, like, 150 and 150 million years after the big bang like it's traveling it's light years i don't understand it i don't know <laughs> what i'm looking at it's beautiful galaxy imagery but really what it's talking about the magnitude of the universe how far away things are that it can't even capture everything because like the expansion never ends do you see what i'm saying like it's a lot it's daunting but it's good and i appreciate that i think the reminder of your place in the, and that is insignificant infinitesimal spec yes, yes. Uh, thank i you. think that can be a liberating thing <laughs> in small doses so yeah highly yeah. enjoying that it's nice to get a little taste of uh insignificance to keep us grounded and humble yes uh, you know somebody who keeps it grounded and by that i mean doing ass to grass squats <laughs> busting it out the glutes with the deadlifts we're talking about co-hosts of max funds other amazing movie review show the flop house Stuart wellington what's good oh hey i'm so glad hey. to be here uh let's see anybody who knows me knows that i'm a man of many passions fiery burning passions and the thing i've been passionate about lately that i think is kind of thematic to today's episode is i have been listening a lot to the Viking trilogy by seminal extreme metal artist Bathory. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bathory, the guy who invented black metal back in 1987 with under the sign of the black mark, then went on to make three amazing Viking metal albums, creating an entirely new genre of music 
It's awesome. It is great. I love it. Oh, man. Uh, Bloodfire Death is the first one. It's got A Fine Day to Die, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, followed by Hammerheart, which is great and lays it all out on the line for heavy metal and then chills it out with Twilight of the Gods, which actually features clean vocals. What? The man with that crazy scream who kept screaming Equimanthorn? No way. Now he's doing clean stuff and it still rules. Just all recorded in a little garage in Sweden. Man, it's great stuff. Passionate. I love it. See, the embarrassing thing, Stuart, we talk about Bathory all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't even new. I feel, I almost feel badly for you. Yeah, I, I am married to a man like a with a Bathory t-shirt. I will, you know, That's I, fair. I, I'm cool. not completely unawares here. Anyone stocking a shelf in a grocery store who sees that is like, dude, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it so much. <laughs> Ify, what's good? Oh, what's good with me is we are deep in con season. Uh, you know, some folks uh, listening now saw me at RTX. Uh, you know, shout out to y'all there. A lot of uh, Max, you know, Max Fun fam, Max Max Film fam, Max Film You'll get there, fam. guy. Yeah, that's, we got M, it. You know, the, the, the MFFs. It's Max a vowel journey. Fam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know they're they're holding it down. They said they sent their regards. I, I sent it to y'all via text, but now I'm telling y'all on air. And you know I'm headed to Arlington this weekend for DreamCon. But um, the reason I'm bringing it up the 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 age old Comic Con it's back, and I will be there. And on Saturday I'm joining newcomers to talk about this same movie with Nicole Byer uh, and ga- guest host Gabrus. Uh, so come down and and if if you don't get enough and you just need more more takes come on down it's always a good time uh keep those masks on you know truly i've been able to um you know you know do these cons safely and come home unscathed uh because i've been masking up as just anytime i was in the you know you you, you get it by now but just in case you don't yeah what you're saying is you think the mask might be doing more than your good luck knocking on yeah. an aluminum desk? <laughs> <laughs> First off and foremost, this is wood. <laughs> or I would, I would give up. But yeah, masks do work. Uh, you know, and you know, just, you know, I, I know people try and like slide it down for selfies. If you do that, do just hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what Fauci says, right? Just hold your breath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fauci himself said, hold that breath if you do that. But Both? truly, yeah, stay safe inside. It gets packed up. And some of these cons have like recently done a very shitty thing of like saying that they'll have, you know, mask, you know, protections. And then as it gets closer, they're like, because of the numbers, we're going to don't even if they do that. Don't be embarrassed to wear a mask. I am cosplaying and picking a mask that matches the cosplay. So uh, you can, you too can do the same. If, if you want to go to Christmas Con in Pasadena in August, I know people I could get you in. Ooh, I'm I, down. I got to, because I'm going to just cosplay as Alonzo. Uh, no, I'm going to be there. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Know. No, I, I know. Yeah. I'm going to be there. Do that. <laughs> just do yeah, that. That's how cosplay works a lot. So even if you're going to be there, I could dress up as you. <laughs> And look, if any listeners are going, I'm down to do an Alonzo flash mob. Uh, <laughs> just, just putting it out there, putting the energy out there. But uh, I'm, I'm that would be Get my ready Christmas, Christmas con. <laughs> so on today's show, we're going to ascend to the realm of the gods with Thor, Love and Thunder. Then we'll nominate supervillains for the Hall of Excellence. But first, 
It's time for Ididic, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Dre, you want to kick this thing off? I sure do, because I love speaking of movies. Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons got hitched. Nice. They have had kids together. They've had Oscar nominations together. And now they've decided to make it legally official. Actors Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons reportedly got married in Jamaica earlier this month. The couple first met on the set of the Fargo TV series in 2015. They got engaged in 2017. And uh, yeah, had a couple kids in there as well. Is this important? Do you care? I care in that I want those kids to be happy. I, uh, I'm i a big fan of both of them. I think they're one of my favorite celebrity couples because they're both like crazily talented and just seem like they get it. Uh, and they've both been doing this like their entire lives. So like they have that you can tell the people for whom like being famous is no longer a thing that they're particularly excited about. It's just part of the gig and they go with it. And so that's kind of what I admire about them. Yeah, I am definitely hoping that they are more of a, a Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman mm. than, you know, b- b- basically every other celebrity couple. Yes. <laughs> um, that's my thing. I do. I like these two. It's unusual that that much blonde would end up in one relationship. Mm. Um, but, you know, if it works, it works. And good for them. When Kirsten Dunst was doing the, you know, circuit um for promoting um power of the dog i loved how she spoke about acting with jesse plemons like their connection as artists Mm. because like you said they've been doing it for so long they kind of could be just paycheck players and so people who manage to take their work seriously enough and consider it a craft yet don't sound like total assholes all the time (laughs) that's a fine line i mean it truly is well, yeah. no, no, nobody's grabbing a paycheck if they're working for Jane Campion. I think we can mm-hmm. pretty firmly establish that. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't watched their season of Fargo, by the way, it's great. It's great. Oh, I, yeah. I love that Fargo is the is, is like this weird like love match show because didn't you and McGregor and Mary Elizabeth yep. Winstead hook up on that? That's nuts. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fargo as a dating service is real funny, especially if you've ever been to Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of movies and speaking of Marvel movies, which we're, we will be doing later today, the rapid expansion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has required the services of countless visual effects artists. As you know, when you have to sit through the closing credits of any Marvel movie to get to the little hidden buttons at the very end, so many, so many people. But some of those VFX artists are no longer willing to work with Marvel, citing what one person called, quote, the worst VFX management out there, unquote. Uh, the complaints uh, that have been in the news this week came largely from a Reddit thread titled, I am quite frankly sick and tired of working on Marvel shows. But enough industry professionals have chimed in with stories of unrealistic timelines and insane work hours to suggest that this is a widely shared opinion of the company's practices. Is this important? Do you care? Could they not have a a snappier Reddit thread title? (laughs) That's what's standing out to me there. If I'm titling a Reddit thread... I think Thomas Paine originally began it back in, like, you know, 1753. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is... I mean, this is kind of, like, just everything that, you know, I've 
kind of been gleaning from the production of Marvel shows and the hoops that they're trying to cast. I'm like, oh yeah, that 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 makes sense. This is, you know, something's got to give. When you are constantly kind of re- rewriting and reworking, everything under that just starts to shake. You start everything you want to change closer to a deadline, then closes the deadline for everyone else working on it. So it, it, I just hope that, you know, the buzz makes enough noise that maybe we relax, we calm down, and we're not afraid to push back films. I mean, I talked to a friend of mine who's in the effects biz about this, and I said, is there, can they... They should unionize. You know, I'm I'm always a big believer in that. And he says, well, here's the thing. So much of this work already gets sent overseas that I think that American VFX workers feel like if they if they throw any kind of hurdles in the way, then it's just all going to send get sent overseas and get outsourced, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I I have been hearing for years that that people, you know, and, and it's not just Marvel. I think a lot of the big companies do it. Like you, you will hear producers bragging about like how many VFX companies are going to, you know, make go bankrupt over the course of a, a film because they just ask for so much for such, you know, for so little payment by comparison of, of what other, you know, uh, uh, you know, below the line folks are getting. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but but I, there there needs to be one because the, the center will not hold. I think a lot of it transcends the visual effects department. I mean, it's it hits everyone in production when you are having story changes or, or you don't even have your full story once you begin production and you're yeah. in production. You're shooting for 150 days and you don't have a full script the whole time. So it means that Every single department, ha- I, and I know that. I will not name names, but I love you, my friends, working on Marvel films. But it is constantly playing catch up or not knowing what is working that week or having script changes and story changes. And I think the visual effects side of it, even if the pay isn't an issue, like even if people are well paid and they're doing that, like you can have fast, good or cheap. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll throw money at this. Even in those situations that... It takes as long as it takes to do visual effects. Like you can see if something has not had enough passes. You Mm. can see if it needs another render. And those things being like, okay, cool. Well, to do that, then we need all of you working 20-hour days to pull it off. And you do really get in a cycle in so many elements of this industry of, well, you establish it as precedent. Yeah, that's how we we did it last time. We know that you can do it in this thing, so now that's just how we plan it. And it it is really hard, and it sucks when, you know, you have a whole... A group of people whose back are up against the wall because, like you said, if, like, oh, we... What, are we going to lose out on this entirely? Like... It's brutal. It is another reason I would like to once again tip my hat to our buddies who made my buddies. I'm not going to share them who made everything everywhere all at once. And the seven people they had doing their entire visual effects on that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was all planned early on and they were given all of the tools they needed. That's what's up. That's what's Mm. up. Yeah, I agree with you. This is important and I care because it's, you know, workers' rights and I care because I love movies and I think it's bad for movies. 
We'll get him answer the question that we never remember to answer. Bless. Look at you. Good job, Stuart. Ah, I've been doing this for a little while, you know. What <laughs> 15 years, baby. Mm. Well, speaking of doing things for a little while, uh, Ludacris, probably fresh off of the heels of watching the amazing uh, Jurassic World Dominion, says that he hopes that the Fast franchise will live on forever like Jurassic Park. In a recent interview with Fatherly, Ludacris managed to confirm that Fast 10 will be the final Fast and Furious movie while not actually shutting the door on there being more Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe this will give you some clarity uh, uh, with this quote yeah. from Luda. Luda! We're shooting Fast 10 now, and this is the final <laughs> chapter, but that doesn't mean it's going forever, right? Look at Jurassic Park. That ended but they reinvigorated it in another way. So I hope the Fast franchise will live on forever. Who knows? It might be our children who continue it someday. I forgot that Ludacris actually has a deeper voice. I was doing it higher. Uh, but it, that doesn't matter. We'll what fix matters it is We'll get the VFX yeah, yeah. people from Marvel to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll let them know we need it in 30 seconds. Is this important? Do you care? I feel like what's important is somehow... It sounded racist to me to have you do that. <laughs> Something about that just seemed really upsetting. Your ludicrous impression. My ludicrous was solid once I figured out that he comes down at a different, he's like lower like this. As but someone goes, who Luda. has driven a minivan with him oh, yeah, as you're... he rapped in the back and used my name. Driving Mr. Luda. Driving Mr. Luda. Um... Yes, Mr. Bridges, I would never. I called him Chris. Thank you. Um, no, I I will forever treasure Alonzo laughing at the preposterousness of this statement because it's also, I, I like it that it's posited like it's amusing on his, like it's something he's musing, not that it's an actual thing. Because I, I, from what my understanding is, this Fast 10 being the last is just the end of the Dominic Toretto arc <laughs> and storyline. And then there's about 18,000 characters they can branch off with in this. So of course they're going to. Do these movies continue to do good international box office? They will continue to make movies. Vin Diesel is the guy with the like, okay, party's over. We're all leaving now. Okay, bye, bye everybody. No, that bye. And, producer and, credit. And then when he goes away, they all come back and they huddle somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He he's he has a producer credit and is like, yeah. listen, I'm aging on screen. I have this thing where I can't lose any fight. So why don't we do this? So I'll just keep making money on these, but I'm going to be like, oh no, my time is past. Like yeah. he can be very like wild. Yeah, he'll show up it. like a T.O. or something and like drink a Corona, <laughs> wave to everybody. Yes. Run in the, the nod from the background. It'll just turn into Hitchcock style cameos. <laughs> I just realized that Fast 10, Fasten, what happens when you fasten something? You close it. I think oh, uh, they closed it. They're, yeah, they're closed. But it can be reopened. Yeah, it can be reopened oh. in theory. Yeah. <laughs> so much poetry in Fast and Furious. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, nothing, nothing lucrative is ever allowed to go away. Just ask the people who thought that the uh, Fantastic Beasts series was a good idea. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, obviously this is going to be, you know, they, they will not rest until they've squoze the last drop out of the last dime on this thing. So yeah, it's going to be, it. it's, yeah, it's going to be the, the Cher's farewell tour of, you know, like franchise <laughs> goodbyes. And we'll just go on in 
infinite. <laughs> Comparing the Fast and Furious series to Cher's fel- farewell tour yeah. is amazing. Thank you. That's that's yeah. the kind of magic I bring to this program. No. Well, uh, <laughs> with that magic just still in the air, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be pointing our Viking ship straight toward Thor, Love and Thunder. So you've probably heard about microdosing, and if not, just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Yeah, our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good, Uh, which is great because I'm always trying to feel the right amount of good, whether it be, you know, just lounging around the house or, you know, interacting with my ex who left a letter and we can't quite, you know, break down whether or not who broke up with who, but it really was her, Uh, you know, all that kind of of melt away when I chew up on my gummies. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MAXFILM to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code M-A-X-F-I-L-M. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Sophie Whiteyway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Stuart Wellington. Alonzo Duraldi. Chris Hemsworth's Thor dropped into the MCU over a decade ago. Four movies later, a lot has changed in our world, on Earth-616, and the Thor movies themselves. So let's talk about it. Drea, would you mind giving us a little summary of Thor, Love and Thunder? All right, Thor, Love and Thunder... Um, we start with a despondent Thor, although a Thor who immediately gets his dad bod back in shape. Um, and he's traveling with the Guardians of the Galaxy. But he decides to just take some moment for himself. Um, and while that's happening, on the meanwhile, as Alonzo would say, um, we are having a setup of our bad guy, which is played by Christian Bale, Gore, the God Butcher, um, who wants to butcher gods. So that's kind of what he's doing. And a reminder, Thor is uh, a god. Um, And so, yeah, Thor decides he needs to nip that in the bud. He goes back um, to get Valkyrie. And then he discovers... His ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, Dr. Jane Foster, my apologies, is now holding what he thought was his destroyed hammer, Mjolnir, and she is the mighty Thor. So they all band up, and they also have Korg, Taika Waititi's rock character, and uh, yeah, they head off into the galaxy to take on Gore the God Butcher, who has stolen a bunch of their children. Thor, love and thunder. <laughs> oh, great. Great, 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 great. Right back there. <laughs> what are we expecting from a Thor movie? How is it different from what we'd look for in a different part of this mega franchise? I mean, the return of Taika Waititi after Thor Ragnarok, which was a real you know, paradigm shifter in a lot of ways in terms of how these movies get told and the sense of humor they have and the, the you know, the, the general sense of, you know, turning Thor into kind of like an adorable lunkhead, basically. Uh, I think, you know, people come back to this with thinking, oh, well, it's going to be more of that, you know. And it is. That is there. His, his like, the sense of humor is there and there are some some 
some funny bits. Um, but he's now trying to marry that with, you know, a supervillain whose like motivation is the death of his child, which happens on screen before the credits. And uh, Dr. Jane Foster, who is fighting stage four terminal cancer. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that you couldn't um, thread that needle, but I don't know that he does. I think it's tricky because Taika has proven himself able to weave really awkward tonal balances. Like Jojo Rabbit is stupid on paper. Like if we're going to describe that, nobody's going to want to see that. Nobody is going to be like, oh yeah, it's a Hitler sort of youth comedy. Like there's a lot that shouldn't work there. There's a lot in Thor Love and Thunder that is kind of at this dissonance of oh, there's a seriousness and a weight to this, but also there's so much humor. And I won't lie, I laughed at everything I was meant to. There's this recurring bit with these enormous goats that scream like humans. And every freaking time I laughed. And I was like, oh, this is embarrassing because I was also by <laughs> myself in a theater. But I laughed every single time or I laughed at his threatening Stormbreaker, his... Like, now his weapon is now sort of sentient. There's a love triangle involving two inanimate objects. Yeah. And so I was laughing at those things and I was feeling the heart-rending things, but I did feel like internally I had to do more to reconcile those things than in other films. And I wonder if he didn't have the high of Ragnarok and the expectations of people, would the parts of this that felt a little twistier or a little like maybe not working as well would they be as obvious if we hadn't had so much enjoyment in his last film yeah that's a that's a good question i mean i i think both of you back to back really nailed what was kind of going on here and i'm gonna add the like kind of like i think the third macro thing that i think is kind of uh makes this a little kind of harder to digest for a lot of people so i think yeah the balance between something heavy and 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 the taika charm was was a lot for folks and i i agree with drea a lot of the jokes worked for me i really love the weapons cheating on each other bit that one got me all the time but with me also like and i get why but like the cancer stuff just felt it was interesting because it was like i have stage four cancer what kind of cancer the cancer cancer also like stage four if anyone who's dealt with cancer in their life like act three should have been where we were at at you know from the top like she's a, she's like i have stage four but i'm in the lab trying to fix this up and and it you know it so so like there is i feel like when you use cancer in a movie there is a groundedness you bring to it because that is like for us as a human race the like great Mm -hmm. equalizer right and so when you have that like whimsy whimsy and then you introduce and combine the two but you're like yeah no not even the viking magical hammer can solve cancer then it starts to be uh, a, a a tougher muddier movie uh and i think the 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 third thing was we're at this interesting point in the mcu where we don't know what 
is happening. You know, like, you know, yeah. in, the, in phase one and phase two, we had the building of the Avengers. We had the impending, you know, uh, Thanos Stones. thing. <laughs> and, and in the Infinity Stones, we were chasing after. And this one, we're just kind of like meandering, just in general. Like, we went through Doctor Strange and we really still don't know. Like, we introduced the multiverse and we're still kind of, like, we don't know what the big connecting thing is. And the reason that's kind of important for a Marvel movie is that's kind of what allows us to excuse these movies that kind of can't stand alone on its own um and this is a movie that is like very much um referential both in the lore itself and just joke wise which which does feel off at times and feels very meme so i saw the quote the the trademark discourse online uh but it it really was just a once again another war between the film bros that are essentially marvel fans of the film communities fighting against the marvel fans of the marvel fan communities uh you mean, you mean the worst movie ever versus greatest movie ever battle that was a that was a real dilly yeah. <laughs> I'd argue that this film actually does exist more of a standalone from what you're talking about, Ify. The idea of, I think you could, where we are at the end of this movie could is where we were at the beginning. Like, we have a mm-hmm. Thor who's suffering from something. Sure, I'm sure he's self-actualized in repairing this relationship and then having it, you know float away again or but we we kind of end up with a very similar thor to what we had at the beginning the world has been you know moved back and all the it's all been reset we aren't given i mean i'll just to spoiler of it feel free to break on through to the other side if you don't want to hear this but i do think it's entirely significant that Dr. Jane Foster does succumb to cancer. And so it's not like this is an origin story of, oh, finally another female to join the Avengers or whatever. It's, nope, we're going to kill another one of the uh-huh. female. You think Thanos is bad, cancer is worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is very much the Harrison Ford thing, like, oh, I'll come back, but you're killing me because we're done here. Sure, yeah. sure. So, you know, now, Stuart, uh, this movie is very Bathory uh, uh, lacking, and instead we get a lot of Guns and Roses. <laughs> a lot of Guns and Roses. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, especially, <laughs> look, after Peacemaker, I kind of feel like that bit has been done. Done, but do you do you think that that Guns N' Roses provides the adequate like oomph that lives up to the font of the titles in terms of trying to like dabble in metal here? I mean, I would say that it uh, it certainly fits my general feelings toward the movie, and that for the most part, uh, I feel like I feel like Taika Waititi, at least in his last few movies, uh, he is uh, he doesn't have much. I don't think he has much depth. As a as a filmmaker, like I feel, uh, like I feel like jo- my issues with Jojo Rabbit is it felt very surface level, and I feel like this one too. Agreed. Like <laughs> it's it's almost all goofy, with none of the grounding. Like and th- that's fine. I mean that clearly I, that was the direction he wanted to go, but I don't know. Like it's I, is it weird that I spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that New Asgard has a ice cream parlor called infinity cones i'm like he like he like 
like took people's loved ones away for five years. Like that's nuts. You that's nuts. You know, it's Imagine like those, those 9 11 themed snack bars that are so popular. Oh you know? no, I didn't even notice it. I did not codes. catch that. And now the, you oh, made me want no. to rewatch it. Or like the idea that like there's uh, a buddy of mine pointed this out, but. Uh, like they have they did a reoccurring bit where they had Matt Damon and what Chris Hemsworth's brother uh, yes. playing Asgardian actors who are acting out exposition from what stuff that happened in the last movie and kind of the joke is that it's like clunky and silly but I do not think it's any less clunky than the exposition that is littered all over most of this movie <laughs> that's such a fair, good point very fair and i i really liked ragnarok i felt like it managed to take some grounding uh from the kind of boring first two movies and they made a lot of fun and they also like brought in like a kind of an interesting perspective about colonialism that i wasn't expecting it's great and this one kind of doesn't have any of that well look i mean this movie if you want to look at it a certain way it's like it's about God, the silence of god as man suffers you know which is like an ingmar bergman top five and it's about this woman dying of cancer making end of life choices rather like does she does she devote herself to treatments in the hopes of slightly extending her life or does she sacrifice herself and give it all to this rescue mission even if that means speeding up the you know her imminent demise like those are they're on the table that i see them sitting there but this movie doesn't know what to do with any of them and like can't wait to get to the next waka waka joke you know it's interesting i would have never thought of taika as lacking depth but i do think you're spot on with that in that i think that he wants to take and incorporate these big meaningful uh, or symbolic elements um, and feather them through, but not with a full understanding of the weight that comes with a lot of them or, or a real exploration beyond just presenting them. Um, the And I could just talk about the Mighty Thor and Dr. Jane Foster and Natalie Portman for the whole time because I did think she was great and it does, Alonzo, you're so right. Like it makes so much sense that she'd be like, I'll come back for one, but <laughs> A, I get to be, like, I'm going to be stacked. I want to be a super superhero body, just like all the dude. Like, I can see her having things she'd want to do. Like, she did get to act. She got to be sick. She got to fight. She got to be in love. Like, she had all of these things. But what I thought, and it, and it speaks to that, that lack of depth, and Again, I very much enjoyed watching this. It's more the thinking about it afterwards. That's of, the, huh, yeah, I didn't leave the theater mad. It was just in dwelling on it. It's like, yeah. hey. But the, the thing with Dr. Jane Foster, you know, what we've learned, and like I did not know about Molnir before the hammer, before <laughs> the first movie. I did not know that you have to be like deserving to be able to lift it up or whatever. And she not only lifts it up like, her presence repairs it. And yeah. yet her ultimate thing being sacrifice, you know, sacrificing herself or whatever. I, I wish I would have seen more of her worthiness. Like what was Jane Foster doing that made her worthy of this hammer? You know, cause we know she's been doing it. We got a glimpse of the, that in previous Thor's and 
Do you know what I mean? Like those. Well, are Thor the kind also of, well, tell, Thor tells yeah, the yeah, hammer to, exactly. to to keep an eye on Jane or to, yeah. to protect her. So one yeah, could argue that she doesn't really do anything necessarily right. to deserve and it. I do want to give you know. yeah. Maureen Lee Lanker at EW wrote a great article about this where she definitely talks about that specifically. Does Jane lose a little agency or even a little worthiness? Yeah, I didn't. That didn't even occur to me at that moment. I just was like, oh. Him saying this is like the extra magic spice in there that makes her <laughs> appearance and worthiness, you know, come together. But I, I just felt like there was I just I just wanted a little more from it's because things. she's an astrophysicist who cites um, event horizon. I think that makes her worthy right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, guys, can I say I was not expecting my favorite thing in this movie to be. Russell Crowe's accent. Shut up. <laughs> Everything about Russell Crowe. Mamma Crow. mia. I love it. <laughs> Russell Crowe was Greek so or he, Roman? Who even knows? <laughs> he, he shows up as Zeus and it's so fabulous. Like, I remember he did a comedic turn in The Nice Guys. Yes. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, right? The Shane Black. And he's so funny in that, but in such a different way. Anyway, I... I for end of days, did I enjoy Russell Crowe being just like absurdly ridiculous. He does this little twirl in his yoga skirt, his like <laughs> yoga tennis skirt. He does this whole presentation thing. I, yeah, I would have been happy. Do you mean big. toga or yoga? Oh my God, you're right. I mean toga. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Lululemon. I didn't know. What we were uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys were just going to let me run with that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Look, we got your back. Yeah, toga tennis. <laughs> toga. But no, he's, toga he's tennis. like, I, I'm enjoying this like late career, I don't know, like this stage of Russell Crowe's career, like Unhinged is a wild movie and he is all in it. Like he is throwing himself in there and thumbs up. I, I do appreciate like that there's there's a, a, a periodic kind of queer subtext in this movie between the, the, the you got a pair of Asgardian moms whose kid gets kidnapped uh, the fact that Korg's all male alien race has to um, you know uh, duplicate itself somehow it involves hand holding which I thought that was, that was sweet and frankly I think there's just something inherently queer about the fact that you know the movie treats Mjolnir like one of Thor's exes so I so arguably two of his exes have hooked up yes i like yeah. that i think the the my last thing and i do appreciate the queerness of it although please make it further like yes of course valkyrie, valkyrie also is like yes. speaking about her 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 fallen lover but i and valkyrie is actually the segue of my brain not my verbal segue you know i don't do those but i was very happy i love her she's a fan favorite character for a reason always nice to see her and there was something so it's so small but although we don't get to see the transformation of jane foster into the mighty thor there's something so lovely about the fact to me that she's in new asgard and she and valkyrie are lockstep there is no weird like jostling for position as the lady in the oh there can only be one girl on the ship or whatever <laughs> they're just immediately respectful down like impressed by each other and that is seemingly a small ask but the amount of times that small ask has not been fulfilled in movies i cannot count compare that to the uh iron man and thor get into a fight when they meet in the first avengers movie 
Yeah. yeah. Freaking men. Am I right? Am I right? You're the worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Can't be trusted. <laughs> Not me. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, does, yeah. Present company, <laughs> naturally. Exploded. But yeah, no, I, I agree that, that I don't know what this phase of the of the MCU is about in a larger sense. And, and I also kind of feel like there's been a run of movies that are sort of like, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not hating any of them, but none of them are setting me on fire. Whereas like Ms. Marvel, if you're watching that show, is like, holy shit, this is so cool and smart and funny yeah. and different and fresh and a cool take and like giving us different approaches to stuff. And uh, and I just kind of feel like, I, you know, you look back at the last couple of years, like Black Widow and the Eternals and, you know, Doctor Strange 2. And, oh, Black you know. All of those films where we lost a female uh, superhero? <laughs> yeah, good point. Every single one of them? Uh, I yeah. did dig Shang-Chi, uh, you know, but it's yeah, just yeah. like, I just, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. So uh, I will be curious. I, and I hope there's some stealth thing that's going to like suddenly come busting out. Like, oh my God, the thread that we missed that connects yeah. all of these things. But, you know, it's sort of like uh, at the moment, I'm kind of liking the TV shows more. Mm. Vote, vote, vote. Yeah, let's put it to a vote. Da, 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 put it to the vote. Ba, da. The way we do votes here on Max Film is we have three rankings. Screen it being the highest, stream it, mid-level, skip it, self-explanatory. So, with that being said, where are you going to rank this? I'll, I'll start. Uh, I'm going to say stream. I think that, again, I, I wasn't not entertained by it. Like, Taika Waititi knows how to, like, keep things moving along, and God knows the Kevin Feige of it all, like, makes it, it... It goes down easy enough. It's just that when you start thinking about it and dwelling on what this movie's trying to do and what it, it is trying to run, wrap its arms around, it, you just you realize that it's not really delivering uh but you know if you were to watch this some afternoon on disney plus i think you would get some enjoyment out of it did you just do that as a russell crowe nod are you not entertained no i, I did <laughs> yeah. not but uh i was I'll giving say you credit yes. for that <laughs> um i'm somewhere between a screen it and a stream it largely because like i said i truly enjoy and i think it was like a little under two hours, which yeah. for a Marvel movie is like 20 minutes. So yeah. it felt like fast and quick and fast and quick. Uh, if you're keeping <laughs> score, it, you know what I mean? it was enjoyable. I was laughing. I was taking it all in. I definitely had some squibbles or brain things later of, Oh, would have been nice. Would have been nice. Would have been nice. Which is why it's not just a uniform screen it. But I did find it a fun watch. I'd also say there's probably nothing visual in this movie that demands to be seen on the big screen either. It's kind of not great in that yeah. re in that regard, I think. Some of us really wanted to see Russell Crowe that big, though. Mm -hmm. Some of That's us did. true. Fair. Mm -hmm. That's true. Some of Bring us it back. did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stuart, what about you? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say it's a stream it. Uh, yeah, this, this one kind of fell flat for me. Maybe it's because I had high expectations. I don't know. Uh, maybe I was so excited to see the results of Chris Hemsworth's brand new workout regimen that he put himself through to get super <laughs> yoked. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all up on the screen, like whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, this, um, it just, it, it felt it felt like it was they like they bashed this one out they didn't really put the thought thought and care into it that i think it deserved uh yeah so not not one of my faves 
for me, yeah, but definitely uh, go ahead and say this is this is streaming. And that's the same thing. I kind of landed on the same thing. There's no like major set pieces that I'm like you gotta see it. And I do feel like this has a potential for like. I feel like the younger audience to be their like highly referential cult favorite of the phase four films and, and be like, oh, you remember this moment? I kind of like, uh, you know, the Napoleon Dynamite was uh, for, for my generation where it's like, we're just going to keep talking about <laughs> about these scenes and, yell, and, and say them to each other and everyone's going to laugh about it. So that's my take. But enough about that. We'll be right back after we hear from some other shows on Maximum Fun. Be right back. Hi, I'm Janet Varney. And just like you, I survived high school. And we're not alone. On my podcast, The JV Club, I invite some of my friends to share the highs and lows of their teen years. Like moments with Aisha Tyler. But when you're a kid, the stakes are just pretty low. Go to school, try not to get in trouble, get laid. Jamila Jamil. I watched television probably every waking hour during that time when I was shit-faced on medicine. And Dave Holmes. We talked and talked, and then everybody left. It was just us two, and I was like, I love you. Learn how you too can be a functioning adult after the drama and heartbreak of high school. Every week on the JV Club with Janet Varney. Find it on Maximum Fun, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a judgment-free show. Hi, I'm Biz, host of One Bad Mother. Whether you're a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I signed my stepson up for a camp that is actually in another state. I feel really stupid, and I don't think we're going to get the money back. And then he found out that the car manual is a book about cars, so now he's reading our car manual. We So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Download One Bad Mother on MaximumFun.org, and yes, there will be swears. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiwe, in the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. Stuart Wellington. Drea Clark. And it's time once again to elevate a part of film history to the rafters of the Hall of Excellence. We won't know the winner of today's showdown until next week, but they'll soon be sitting alongside Helen Mirren, Gary Oldman's Dracula wig, and Denzel Washington's <laughs> Malcolm X. In honor of Oscar-winning Christian Bale's turn as Gore in Thor 4, today's category is Best Performance by a supervillain. And the nominees are, well, we're about to find out who you want to nominate. Oh, it's exciting. Uh, I'm going to step up. I'll tell you, one of the things that I did like about Gore in this movie, we didn't really get into his motivation so much, is that he falls into that category of like, well, you have a point. You know, because the the gods, as presented here, don't care about humanity and will stand by as as we suffer and terrible things happen. So it's like, you know, okay, maybe killing gods is a little much, but you you do have a point, sir. Uh, but I think the winner of the you have a point um, uh, of, of supervillains would have to be Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger in Black Ooh, Panther. Stolen right from under me. Good, yeah, good pick. it was on my list. That's why I went first. <laughs> wow. That's a good call. He's on I'll the list. Of the super here. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he sniped yeah. us. 
you know, it's like it's like mm, yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong, Killmonger. You are not wrong. But at the same time, maybe you know, you, let's talk about your methods. Maybe we don't go that far. But but no, I I get you. I hear you. I believe you. I understand you. So yeah, uh, and, and, and he looks cool. He looks and he cool. Looks cool. He looks like Vegeta. He looks amazing. <laughs> he looks like when Will Smith says, "I make this look good." But mm. like he embodies that, yeah. like yeah. ethos, yeah. And, and and frankly, no no disrespect to the the late great Chadwick Boseman. I mean, it's kind of Michael B. Jordan's movie. I yeah. mean, you know, like T'Challa as as great a hero as he is is kind of written in that film to sort of be like the Ed Sullivan who brings out all of the other acts. Like yeah. you know, oh uh, you know, meet the 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 the, Do- the Dora Mirage and meet you know my mom and like all these other you know. He, so anyway, yeah. Uh, meet- Martin Freeman for some reason. (laughs) Maybe not Martin Freeman, but yeah, you know, meet meet Winston Duke. Uh, Anyway, uh, so yeah, I I think for sure uh, Killmonger would be my pick for the Hall as as best supervillain. And the fact that we all had him first on our mind speaks volumes not just about Jordan's performance, but also the fact that like uh, while in the comics, you know, supervillains are great and exciting. There's not nearly enough of them to go around that have made a big impact on uh, on the big screen. Yeah. And so many of these movies kind of live or die as to how good the villain is. I mean, speaking of the first couple of Thors, you're like, what? There's that oh, dark Malekith, you know. Like, and I love Christopher Eccleston. No, no dog <laughs> on him. Um, I'm gonna go next so that no one steals mine. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I'm going with my best friend, the cool writer, Michelle Pfeiffer, playing Catwoman in Batman Returns. Nice. Took another one off the list. Oh, oh, she's so great. She's, right? Ooh. She's so good, so deserving. And it's that balance of her Selena Kyle, when we meet her, is the is representing all women and all like low-level workers who are so insignificant that her boss like Sh- max shrek or whatever like mm. just kills her like without a thought oh it doesn't matter you're replaceable you're disposable she, she's jane fonda in the first half of nine to five exactly <laughs> and so she like to me you already have oh there's an interesting thread here right there's that well, she's sort of got a point. I mean, there's a lot to hate. Like, having a vengeance against that dude in particular seems kind of earned. Mm. And then there's this fascinating uh, magical transformation where she becomes the Catwoman and develops, like, mystical powers, literal nine lives, as we see by the end of it. But then she also... It manifests in way that are real world based, like her sewing her own costume and her taking on all these cat characteristics. And she's so good and she's so camp and she's an actual match for Batman and for Bruce Wayne, like that she can challenge on numerous levels. But you also are never like it's sort of in question of, oh, I wonder if he can turn her around but you know she's a villain like she because she's earned it because she needs to make that ass hat pay and i don't begrudge her that and she does it with so much style she's so many slinky one-liners that people should not be able to pull off and michelle pfeiffer's performance is impeccable like what she does as the mousy secretary type what she does as the cat la- like as the cat lady as the cat <laughs> woman as yeah, she's yeah. more commonly known <laughs> Like, all of that. Like, she has a feline element. She has this 
like throaty growl voice that she's doing. She's just doing so much and that she's taking this figure that's in this very iconic visual that's t- form fitting that could be like nothing but sexy or fetish and she's powerful in it and that is why i think you should support me in voting for her for the hall of excellence also please go look up one of my favorite things ever which is just that short clip of her with her whips and the mannequins and she actually does in one shot she does this beautiful whip crack thing where she hits three mannequins in a row in the exact place while she's delivering lines. And you're like, what? Like second only to Sigourney Weaver's behind the head basketball shot from Alien. Like (laughs) it's my favorite moment. Please go look it up. It's it'll blow your mind. Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman, Hall of Excellence. Vote for me. You want to go next, Tiffy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, my next pick I'm going to do this one, and this one goes out to uh, Jamie Loftus, because I'm going for Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. There you go. Uh, you, know, you know, before before the Killmongers, before you know, before all the New Age Thanoses, we kept our villains simple, and we kept them in a lot of leather, and they had big electrical tentacles that they were grabbing and tossing things around. And then they found out that maybe those tentacles... A ruin in their brain. Uh, but much too late because then they die. Uh, but. Or do they? Or yeah, do they? Do they? Yeah. Or will they wait till, uh, you know, they're transported to another multiverse? Maybe he can fix them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my pick. That's a good one. Nice. Good one. I, I think it's really funny that I wrote four names down on my list and three of them have been crossed off. <laughs> <laughs> no way! I'm, in, I'm very impressed. We're uh, of a like mind. My nominee is a recent pick and this is a little bit challenging because uh i don't know for sure how to pronounce this character's name but it of course is tony lung in shang chi playing zu wenwu the uh the i guess the 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 inspiration for the mandarin uh the bearer of the ten rings he uh is super tough he is hot as hell he brings a gravity to a relatively straightforward villain performance. He's a great, he's a, he's like a bad dad character, but he's also kind of a good dad a little bit. Um, and the sequence where he is getting revenge in that suit with the sleeves rolled up with those giant bracelets and he just beats the crap out of those gangsters. It's amazing. I immediately started going on to Etsy and Googling more jewelry, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got to get Stuart in the wrist cuffs, the golden (laughs) wrist cuffs. He looks amazing. Uh, No, that's such a good. And he also has a scene where he fight dance seduces a woman. It's incredible. Yeah, he does. Yeah, not, Not a lot of men can pull that off. Mm-hmm. I say from experience. <laughs> they always try. Yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of men have been let down some questionable fashion choices by wanting to look like Tony Lung in that's, any number of films. So, you know. Probably true. Tread with kid, with caution, kids. <laughs> and and I as a, as a runner-up, I just want to say because it's not technically not a superhero movie, we can't count Jobu Topaki from everything everywhere all at once. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know that that is like a a solid pull. I know I was thinking about it a lot 
where it was like if it was just open ended, uh, I probably would have went with uh, Anton Chigurh from oh, uh, No Country go. for right, Old Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I was but, just watching The Counselor before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, now, um, now, listeners, we turn it over to you. So go to our Facebook page and vote for your favorite. And if you forgot, that is www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film. And now it's time for our staff picks. It can be any movie at all. So who wants to start? I'll go. I don't know why I said that like a question. I'll go. <laughs> I will go. Yeah, yeah you will. Yes. Yeah, you thanks. will. Thanks, gang. Um, uh, You guys, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is just effing delightful. Ooh, I can't I wait. I love... A delightful escapist fantasy. Uh, we all love Leslie Manville, the sister from Phantom Thread. Mm. Phantom Thread? Phantom Thread. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yep. said it. I was like, that doesn't sound right at all, but it is. Phantom Thread, also a great supervillain. Mm-hmm. Also a great supervillain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is exactly that. It's set in the 50s in London. She is a cleaning lady who's lost her husband and she becomes obsessed with the Dior dress and wants to go to Paris and have this whole thing. And it's so lovely and charming and also more substantial than it sounds like it might be. There's a lot of, there's a lot of the aforementioned depth here that sneaks up on you, but I highly recommend it. It is in theaters now. Excellent. Mm. Uh, I want to recommend a film that was a favorite of mine as a as a young queer critic in the early '90s that um, has not popped up a lot in recent years. It, it almost I, I think was was maybe a candidate for the for missingmovies.org, but it is currently on the Criterion Channel, and it is a Canadian. AIDS musical called Zero Patience, and it basically takes the premise of um, the the uh, the French Canadian uh, uh, air steward uh, Gaetan Dugas, who was sort of demonized by the book and the band played on as being patient zero, uh, and uh, so John Grayson sort of tries to uh, rehabilitate his his reputation. He creates this character uh, of, of patient zero, um, gets him involved with uh, a museum exhibition about infectious diseases that's being curated by uh, Sir Richard Francis Burton, who is somehow still alive, even though he should have died in the 18th century uh, or the 19th. And um, it's just, it's it's bananas, but you have to kind of go with it. And it's a fully, like, musical, musical. Like, there is there are uh, songs about HIV and dance numbers set in bathhouses. And it's just a movie that is constantly going for it and shooting for the back walls. And I think really... Um, more often than not getting it right and just being provocative and being tuneful in a way that uh, we've rarely seen in movies do so it ain't perfect but it, there's a lot to love in this film and I just love its moxie so you've probably it, it is quite likely you've never heard of or seen this movie so check out on the Criterion channel John Grayson's Zero Patience. Nice. Ooh. And uh, so uh, if Alonzo won't recommend a perfect movie, I'm going to recommend a perfect movie. I'm going to recommend a movie that I recommend all the time to everybody, anyone who will listen. I'm going to recommend Ricky O, The Story of Ricky, a Chinese martial arts movie based on a Japanese comic book. Uh, it is one of the goriest, most violent movies you'll ever see. It's also very silly and funny. Uh, I love it a lot. It's about Ricky, who gets sent to a private prison because he killed the drug dealers who killed his girlfriend. 
uh, and he kills all the gang members that are running the private prison, and then he fights all the corrupt uh, people who run that private prison because you know what? Private prisons and the prison system is bad already, and Ricky tells you that. So I love Ricky O's story of Ricky, and you should watch it if you want to watch a super crazy movie. Um, <laughs> nice. It apparently is not streaming anywhere currently, so go find... Uh, physical media, as we yeah, say yeah. here. That's the first right. step of your quest is to find this movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, find this movie and enjoy it. Work your way up to the big boss level. Love it. <laughs> who is the warden of the private prison who has to be the very best at Kung Fu, as explained in the movie? Well, of course. Yes. Well, who, who, yeah, of course he would be. That's how he got to be warden, I assume. <laughs> Oh my God, right. Iffy, top that for absurdity. Bring it home. Well, you know, uh, you know, this. there's a badass woman in this movie, so of course I'm going to have to suggest a badass woman. And I dug deep for this one. I got this little little indie number um, that was released uh, on May 25th of 1979. Uh, this up-and-coming director, uh, Ridley Scott, uh, dropped this hit, uh, Alien. So might you know, you might not have heard of it. You might have to search for it, but you might want to check it. It out. Uh, I think it did pretty all right uh, in the box office. Um, you know, uh, there's there's you know a uh, little hubbub about it uh, in, in certain circles. Uh, some would uh, describe it as a cult classic. Uh, so uh, definitely go um, check check that. That, that. That's once again, if you missed it, Alien. Mr. Um, Esoteric with without, the deep cuts over here. <laughs> yeah, not, not with an S, uh, by the way. <laughs> Just the Alien. It's a different movie. The S, yeah, S, it's a whole different movie. Um, but related to that, you can then Google alien resurrection sigourney <laughs> weaver basketball yep. shot uh-huh. and michael wincott performance yep yeah <laughs> well uh Stuart, thank you so much for joining us Yay. is there anything you'd like to plug or, or let people know where they can find you in yeah your squats? Uh, this uh was a pleasure thank you so much for having me i love getting to talk about movies and Yay. uh if you want to talk to me about movies you can come to one of my bars i own uh two bars in brooklyn hinterlands bar and uh and minnie's bar uh come by sometime i may be there i may not be that's part of the quest finding physical <laughs> copies of ricky o and finding me um and you can also check out um well i do a podcast called the flop house it's on this here network uh, and sometimes my wife and I record a podcast called I Know the Owner, where we interview bartenders and bar owners about bar stuff. Ooh. Nice. I like that. And that is fun. Yeah, yeah. Hinterlands <laughs> yeah, like is a gas. If you're yeah, in yeah. Brooklyn, you should go. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. You got to come back. Dre and Alonzo, thanks for another great show, of course. Thank you. Hey, may I do a quick plug? Of course, always. Uh, So uh, Outfest is happening, which is always exciting. And this Saturday evening, uh, the 16th, I will be moderating a panel at uh, the Harmony Gold for the, uh, around the first episode of an upcoming Shudder queer uh, horror uh, uh, documentary series called Queer for Fear. Uh, I am interviewed in it along with a lot of other great people and the panel will include some megawattage luminaries including uh, directors Justin Simeon and Kimberly Pierce and uh, TV mogul Brian Fuller, friend of the show. So that's going to be a blast. It's going to be the first look that anybody's going to have at Queer for Fear which promises to be really awesome. So uh, outfest.org find out about tickets and uh, come say howdy. Yay, I will Alonzo. be wearing a mask. 
Yeah, yeah, that that uh that uh plug remind me of my plug. Uh, something I'm in is actually at Outfest. I'm in a queer. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in a queer little uh, web web series ditty. Uh, called Unclaimed. Un has the uh the has has parentheses around it, and it will be screening July 16th at 1:30 p.m. So definitely peep that if you want to see me playing against type uh sad the guy who's sad about Polly, uh, which is uh against my normal type guy who. Talks too much about being Polly. Uh, so oh, I uh, thought Polly was a woman. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's multiple women. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that was a is that what a long century. game Polly's about? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ben Stiller uh, in a role that will surprise you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, with that being said, if you have been enjoying the show but have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film or join our Facebook group, which can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum That's also where you can send those hotline calls. Our super producer is Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.